This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight. It is an issue that concerns all Nigerians and they needed to be consulted. Most people came out to say they didn't know about Naira redesign that the government that's VOA's Abuja Bureau Coordinator Medina Dauda on the controversial currency conversion in Nigeria. Details coming up also. The WHO says cholera has declined in Africa, but warns that fresh flooding could spread it again. An explosion and fire near the illegal oil refinery in Nigeria killed at least 12 people. And an opposition coalition says it will protest Sunday in Tunisia despite being denied permission. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The World Health Organization reports a significant decline in cholera cases in Africa, but warns flooding due to tropical cyclones in southern Africa risks further spread of the deadly disease. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. Cholera cases in Africa dropped by nearly 40% last week, with WHO reporting 2,880 cases compared with more than 4,500 cases the previous week. However, this good news is tempered by heavy flooding from seasonal rains and tropical cyclones in southern Africa. Tropical Cyclone Freddy swept through Madagascar on February 21st and moved on to Mozambique, dumping massive amounts of rain on the country. WHO reports the cyclone has had a serious impact on health in these and neighboring countries. WHO Regional Director for Africa, Machidiso Mwaiti, notes South Africa, Tanzania, and Zimbabwe are the latest of 12 African countries currently reporting cases of cholera. In Malawi, which is experiencing its worst ever cholera outbreak, increased rainfall is slowing outbreak control efforts in some areas, with response teams facing difficulty reaching needy people. Africa has had large outbreaks of cholera in the past. What is unusual is to have so many co-occurring and linked to major climatic events. While Southern Africa is suffering from too much water, the Horn of Africa is suffering from too little. WHO reports six seasons of climate-related drought in Somalia, Kenya, and Ethiopia have resulted in an uptick of cholera cases, this largely due to depleted water resources, widespread displacement, and inadequate water and sanitation facilities. Cyclone Freddy has caused significant damage in Madagascar. It affected more than 116,000 people and flooded or damaged nearly 29,000 houses in seven of the country's 23 regions. However, Madagascar's Minister of Health, Zeli Arivelo Randria Manantani, says his country's early warning system has prevented worse from happening. He says 10 days prior to the cyclone, people were told how to keep themselves safe. He says the government prepositioned medical supplies and reinforced health infrastructure. He speaks through an interpreter. Every year we have uh, the roofing of of the facilities uh, ripped off by the winds. Uh, So this year, less than 10% of the infrastructures was uh, affected due to the prepositioning 
African Regional Director Moeti says WHO, together with the Africa CDC, plans to convene a high-level ministerial meeting hosted by Malawi on cholera. She says the forum aims to revive commitments to end cholera outbreaks in Africa and strengthen cross-border collaboration for its control. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. An explosion and fire near an illegal oil refinery in Nigeria's Niger Delta region killed at least 12 people today. The Associated Press says the blast took place in the Imua Council area of the Southern River State along a pipeline targeted by young people trying to siphon off oil. The head of a youth advocacy center told that AP that a spark for an, from an exhaust pipe of a bus loaded with crude oil ignited the blast which burned the passengers in at least five nearby vehicles. The news service says Nigeria lost about $3 billion worth of crude oil over the last year due to the theft from oil pipelines, or as it's called, bunkering. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Four journalists from Egypt's Mada Masr online newspaper have been charged with slandering and defaming a high-profile political party. Their report included accusations of corruption against several senior members of the Motsakabal Watan, meaning Nation's Future Party, known for being loyal to President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Madame Assar has been among the few remaining outlets attempting to offer quality journalism in both Arabic and English. Said Sadiq, professor of political sociology at the American University in Egypt, discussed these developments with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi. Nothing new. Under current economic and political tensions, the regime continues its same policy to prevent spread of independent media criticism. The tension between Mada, Mas, and the government is old. This is not the first time we have such cases. Um, just a new chapter of uh, the same tensions. And I don't see that it would lead to a big uh, closure of the paper because despite the fact that they don't have a, an official permission to function, they have international links with the United States, with the EU and others. So it would be very difficult that we'll take uh, draconian positions against the paper. Award-winning editor-chief of Madamasr, Lina Atallah, has been charged with founding a website without a license. Madamasr says it has attempted since 2018 to obtain a license under a new law regulating the press. However, they received no response to repeated inquiries. She was also accused by the Cairo prosecution of allegedly publishing false news intended to disturb the public peace and cause damage to the public interest. What kind of message is the authorities sending to the Egyptian media through such accusations? This is an old tactic by the government not to grant newspapers and journalists permission to work. You can make the application, but nobody is responding. And then when you exceed the the expectations, uh, then you are caught and then charged that you are functioning without any legal permission. The message is old. This is uh, the same message that was going on to all media in Egypt. They have to have self-censorship about what is being uh, published or written. 
and uh, they continue that. Uh, I see this is another episode of a long uh, story that was going on for a long time. Media watchdog Reporters Without Borders ranks Egypt 168th out of 180 countries surveyed in its Press Freedom Index and says 24 journalists are currently jailed in the country. How damaging is this to the Egyptian government's international reputation? The strategic importance of Egypt for its major undisputed role in the ceasefire negotiations between Hamas and Palestinians and the Israelis, uh, the Suez Canal, counterterrorism, world preoccupation with the Ukrainian war, will make such cases slip by. Only specialists would be noticing uh, this issue. Maybe behind wings you may have diplomatic contacts and consultations between the Egyptian government, uh, like what happened before, and uh, the foreign influential bodies uh, to try to solve this issue in a quiet way and not escalated. So it is possible that what happened before may be repeated this time again. How about the reaction from the European Union who is sending financial aid to Egypt? The EU and uh, Americans are preferring uh, quiet diplomacy. And so things may be happening uh, behind uh, closed doors and not uh, coming in public. And so this is a policy that had been uh, always adopted because they don't want to tense relations. And it's not now a priority because of uh, how much the Europeans need Egyptian gas. Uh, they need Egypt in a lot of things. And so it will not affect relations. It can be raised diplomatically, but it will not uh, affect aid or affect any other things. That was Said Sadiq, professor of political sociology at the American University in Egypt, speaking with VOA's Mohamed al-Shanawi. Tunisia's president, Kais Saeed, last week announced a crackdown on illegal immigration using a team a term, Great Replacement Language, the African Union denounced as racialized and shocking. In his speech, Said suggested that political elites in Tunisia are replacing native inhabitants with immigrant supporters. Most sub-Saharan Africa migrants have been evicted from their homes and are facing attacks on the streets. Mongi Dahoudi is the president of the Tunisian United Network here in Washington, D.C. Earlier today, he spoke to my colleague, Esther Gitu Award on VOA's Africa 54. First of all, uh, President Saeed is known, it's not new to controversy, he is known to stifle uh, any dissent within the country. He cracks down on Tunisians, you know, freedoms as well. Uh, what do you make of this latest crackdown on black sub-Saharan Africans, and even blacks in Tunisia itself. Well, this is just another chapter of a, a newly formed uh, dictatorship uh, in Tunisia. Unfortunately, we thought that these days were behind us, that after the revolution and the um, that, that uh, ended up with uh, the uh, earlier dictators in Abidin Bani leaving Tunisia, Tunisia is embarked on a democracy transition period. Um, it was uh, marked with a lot of divisions among the uh, political parties, uh, marked with a lot of fragmentation within the parliament. Uh, so the system kind of did not deliver on the economic front. And uh, so that opened the door for somebody like Kais Saeed, who is not known in the political scene in Tunisia. He's an outsider. 
he does not belong to any political party or family. Uh, so he came in, rode this wave of uh, populism, promised uh, that he's going to fight corruption, uh, then ended up uh, on July 25th, after he was elected by the majority of the vote in 2019, in July 25th of 2021, he basically um, staged the coup in Tunisia. And he took over all the parliament, the, the, uh, all, all the state apparatus, and now he is marching to crack down on all opposition. Why am I saying this? Because this leads us to the fact that uh, he ran out of uh, uh, kind of uh, enemies, probably, uh, trying to blame for his failure to deliver on any of the promises he made to the people. So now he goes after the minority, the immigrants, uh, who were in India. Right. right. What about uh, the African Union language saying that Kais Saeed is being racist? Does that go far enough to restore human dignity to thousands of those migrants? I think the statement by the African Union maybe sets the stage for the international community to pay attention to this big problem that was created because they kind of like looked the other way while Kais Saeed was dismantling the state apparatus and destroying democracy in the country. So now they're waking into a racist rhetoric, attacks on, on immigrants from Sub-Saharan Africa. I don't think the statement goes far enough because I think the statement should demand protection for these immigrants in Tunisia because some of them are facing really danger, uh, street violence, uh, evictions from their homes, uh, being denied basic services into public transportation and, and hospitals. These are things we have not seen in Tunisia. I'm a, as a Tunisian, I'm shocked. Mm -hmm. I'm ashamed that, that uh, this government and some of the other institutions are allowing this to happen. And I think the international community needs to come down hard. They need to demand that we do not make deal any business with Saeed. He's seeking a $1.9 billion from IMF loan. I think that should be held back until we see some real changes Number one, stop this crackdown on immigrants, provide security safety for them, release the political prisoners, and then rebuild democracy in the country. That was Mongi Dahoudi, head of the Tunisian United Network. He was speaking with Esther Gitu Awart on VOA's Africa 54 television news program. Nigeria's Supreme Court has declared the government's rollout of newly designed currency to be unconstitutional and ordered that old notes remain in circulation until the end of the year. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. The Supreme Court ruling Friday followed a suit filed in February by 16 Nigerian state governors asking that the old 200 500 and 1,000 Naira notes be allowed to circulate for a longer period. The Central Bank of Nigeria redesigned the bills last year and initially gave Nigerians only six weeks to exchange old bills for new ones. The deadline was later extended by 10 days, but the bank retired the old 500 and 1,000 Naira notes last month. Authorities said the redesign was to rein in excess cash fight crime and kidnapping and address inflation and counterfeiting. However, Justice Emmanuel Ajin ruled the policy backed by President Muhammad Buhari was an unconstitutional use of executive power and breached the fundamental rights of Nigerian citizens. The court said the policy caused hardships for millions of people, noting that some cash-strapped citizens had to engage in barter to survive. 
Three people were killed in protests against the policy that turned violent. Next-year economist Ndumokolo said he's not hopeful the Central Bank of Nigeria and President Buhari will comply with the court's ruling soon. The, the executive can say, okay, we've had the Supreme Court. We are going to do that. So how long it takes them to do that? Um, who's, going to, who's going to take them to court to say you've been asked to implement this and you've not, you've not started implementing it? Buhari refused to obey a February 8 order by the Supreme Court to suspend the planned February 10th deadline for turning in the old bills. The Supreme Court said that was a sign of dictatorship. But Mokolo says Buhari's move could have been a deliberate act by the president to discourage vote buying during the election season. Nigeria went to polls last weekend to elect a new president and lawmakers. Next week, various states will hold gubernatorial elections. Nigeria is also facing intensifying fuel shortages due to a disruption in the product's distribution chain caused by activities of cross-border smugglers. Many are hoping the new president will address these problems once and for all. Timothy Obezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. As you just heard, uh, withdrawal of the old banknotes from circulation became an election issue in Nigeria. With that as a background and with other issues as well, Nigeria's opposition leaders have renewed their calls for the result of the February 25th presidential election to be overturned. I talked to VOA's Abuja Bureau Coordinator Medina Dauda to brief us more on the matter. A lot of issues came during this Naira redesign that everybody in Nigeria, most especially the analysts that we had contacts with, were complaining about the timing of this Naira redesign and how it is going to affect the major issue that is the election that is coming up at that time. But Nigeria did not do any Naira redesign in 20 years except now, and they were supposed to have been doing it every five to eight years. Nobody would want to take the blame. It is an issue that concerns all Nigerians, and they needed to be consulted. Most people came out to say they didn't know about Naira redesign that the government is intending to do. They just woke up one morning and found the governor of the central bank, Godwin Emefiele, announcing to the country that there's going to be a Naira redesign of three big major currencies. The currency has to be changed, that's true. We're talking about the timing, the timing of the currency change. Election is coming up. Buhari's government actually has defended the central bank's plan to change the Naira for new notes, saying it would curb money laundering, kidnapping for ransom, and offer greater transparency in financial transactions. But in a country where most people rely on cash for everything, from taxi fares to buying food from markets, the shortages of the Naira bills has really riled citizens, some of whom have attacked banks and burned cash dispensing machines. People were worried that the elections was coming and the government was deciding to change the currency. Even though the reasons they gave, like curbing kidnapping and uh, money laundering and many other things were the issues at stake to the government then. But one other question you're going to ask is, how many of these problems were solved 
in this short period of NARA redesign and mopping of currency in the hands of citizens. Till this moment, you know, the bandits are still killing people. We have not heard years of large demand of money, but they still go out to kill people. They go about burning major places, markets, IDP camps, and many other things. So you would say that, yes, their demand for hard currency, money, hard cash has reduced. But did the banditry reduce? That's one other question that the government was to answer in a very short while. Point well taken. With that background, Nigeria's opposition has now renewed calls for the election results to be overturned. The Labour Party candidate Peter Obi, Ati Abubakar, with the People's Democratic Party, renewed calls for election results to be overturned. Well, yesterday I was able to attend three press conferences by three opposition parties. The first one was the People's Democratic Party, where the presidential candidate Atiku Abubakar addressed us. Now, Atiku Abubakar is saying he is going to consult his lawyers on what to do about these elections. He came out to condemn the process. He said INEC was not honest, that the elections were flawed because Everything that INEC had promised Nigerians, INEC did not do. How about Labour Party candidate Peter Obi? Peter Obi made a statement. He came out to rightly to say his party won the presidential election. And he said that he is going to court to challenge the outcome of the election. And he's going to prove to Nigerians that his party won the presidential election. Medina Dauda from BOA's Africa Service. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The humanitarian horrors of Russia's unprovoked war against Ukraine continue to cause massive human suffering both inside of Ukraine and around the world, declared U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Within Ukraine's borders, more than 17 million Ukrainians need humanitarian aid. Nearly 6 million people are internally displaced in Ukraine, forced to flee their homes in search of safety and shelter. Russia's forces have launched barrage after barrage of missiles and drones against Ukraine, hitting cities and infrastructure, killing and injuring civilians, damaging roads, homes, schools, medical facilities, farmland, and power systems. Millions of Ukrainian civilians are now without food, power, water access, health services, and proper heat, even as temperatures remain below freezing. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield called on Russia to stop bombing critical infrastructure and killing innocent civilians. Until Russia does, global humanitarian donors must stand by the Ukrainian people. We need to prioritize winterization assistance to address immediate humanitarian needs and support the government of Ukraine's efforts. Humanitarians from the UN and NGOs are on the ground right now trying to help. Sadly, even these groups, just trying to help save lives, have not been spared from Russia's attacks. 
Russia is engaging in coerced relocations of Ukraine's children to Russia-occupied territories of Ukraine, stated Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. Russia is also transferring and deporting Ukraine's children to Russia itself giving children away to families in Russia and attempting to permanently separate them from their families. This is a violation of the principles of child protection. This must stop. Russia's war has greatly exacerbated the global food crisis. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield expressed support for the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which has helped meet the needs of the world's most vulnerable and benefited middle-income countries by stabilizing world grain prices. But because of Russia, the movement of grain from Ukraine's ports has slowed and the backlog of ships waiting for grain is growing. Russia must not be allowed to continue its weaponization of food and energy in winter. Putin started this war and he can end it today by pulling his troops out of Ukraine, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. The United States urges all countries to support the U.N.'s 2023 Humanitarian Response Plan and Regional Refugee Response Plan and to hold Russia accountable for its aggression and horrific abuses, inflicting unconscionable suffering on the people of Ukraine. That was an